Today I'm talking with Bhaskar Goswami. Bhaskar is a yogi engineer. That means that he helps people get to know the inner workings of their being to thrive in life and in the world. Bhaskar and I dip into the waters of how one embodies their values, individually and within organizations. Think of values as road signs on the path of life, signposts that tell us if we're staying true to our deepest and most authentic wishes. Bhaskar and I talk about how we own those values and how they bleed through our experience in a way that is fully in sync with our calling and duty to ourselves and others. Brother Bhaskar, welcome to the Huddle Podcast. Happy to be with you, Mark. Always a pleasure. We're talking today about the character and the identity um, and the depth of meaning that we can bring to bear within our lives and and maybe more specifically within the organizations that we work with um you've you've spoken to me about the idea of embodied values and i i'd like to spend some time today talking about that subject and what mm-hmm. import it has for our listeners who are working within organizations many of whom based on our our huddle mission working within healthcare organizations to understand um how we go from uh, a declaration of values, a declaration mm-hmm. of mission and vision, which is common, you see often on organizations' websites, to what you describe as embodied values. So it's almost like we'd like to say going from a translating an idea to transformationally integrating those ideas into practice. So why don't, for the sake of our listeners, why don't, in, in short form, share, when you say embodied values, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's important, I think, to understand that uh, what's happening at an intimate level is also happening at an organizational level. Like, we all know that we got to eat right, drink a lot of water, get a lot of sleep, do some exercise, you know, uh, go for walks in nature. You know, we understand these things. Yet, for so many of us, we have difficulty actually embodying those values, living those values, living those practices. And we can extend that to organizations as well. You know, every organization has the intention to to serve humanity in a meaningful way, to have a a caring community that is, you know, mission-focused and and all of that mission statements that everybody resonates with in principle and theory. Yet there seems to be a chasm between that and actually every touch point in their organization embodying those values. So, So it is when the theory inspiration meets the living, breathing, embodied practice and experience. So how do we practice those values? So we, we become almost like a, like bastions, like the, like a, like our fragrance is those values. Like I was working with an organization recently out of Ottawa and, uh, and I just asked this question, if your organization was a, was a sentient being with a personality, what kind of a personality would your organization have? And she spoke very beautifully, you know, uh, our vision is to, to, to serve the community with kindness and compassion, to be self-reflective, to grow and learn. She said amazing things. And she said, we actually have a booklet we've made, <laughs> you know, that sort of summarizes all this. We had a branding expert kind of put this booklet together and she showed it to me. It was beautiful. And then the next question is, okay, how does this organization become a living, breathing expression of that book? So that book is not just an inspiration or a source of guidance, but becomes a living practice. 
So that is when we shift from experience, uh, from inspiration to experience. And that's the embodied value part. Yeah, I like that you say that. Um, Philip, one of our other mentors in the Huddle Network, talks about the idea of culture as a dynamic, organic entity, mm -hmm. right? So I think sometimes people get into the habit or the exercise of codifying values and then mm -hmm. thinking that in that codification process that that's where the exercise ends. Everyone will get it. By osmosis, you'll read this and you'll start living out this work, right? But when you start understanding culture as a dynamic, living, organic entity that is created through the energy, effort, spirit of the people, then you realize to your point that you are in an embodied process, that we are living, that culture is being formed moment to moment in how we show up for each other. That is what culture is. Everything else, everything else is just a lovely booklet and maybe a source of inspiration or a litmus test or a, a Bible of sorts. But that's the translation stuff. The transformation is in that showing up and in the embodiment piece. Especially when the going gets tough. You know, when the going is good, it's easy to embody these values. My, you know, when, when the pressure is there, when there are deadlines and fiascos, are those values still there, you know? Or does it just get fall down to the lowest denominator after grossest expression? So, um, and I felt this, Mark. I've been going into companies now as a wellness consultant for two decades, and every organization has some kind of personality. You can feel it right away. And uh, sometimes it resonates beautifully with their intention and their mission statement. And sometimes it's complete dissonance. They're, they're not embodying the values at all. In fact, the mission statement is almost seen as a, uh, um, a sarcastically, almost like a, like a bad joke. You know? right. Yeah. And in <laughs> fact, it's funny that we're talking about this because I just posted about this on LinkedIn this morning, almost what I would call like the commodification of culture. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, and I see this often and I think it's done with the best intentions. So forgive the, the ranting side of this, but, oh, we just provided a new wellness resource to our staff. And the, the underlying assumption there is that that is the fix. Mm. We delivered mm -hmm. an app, we delivered a program. That's great. But those are tactics, so to speak. What and I think from what I've heard from your own experience and in my experience is people are not looking for tactics. They're looking mm. for the embodied experience. They're looking mm. for the showing up part. They're looking for the listening, the genuine compassion, the genuine care. The resources are a complement to that. They're not a surrogate for that. Mm. Um, so wellness is not a PR exercise and, and nor is it a, a strategy. It's a cult, it's the formation, it's the roots of culture, mm -hmm. right? It's, and, and I agree with you that from an embodied perspective, that is really the game-changing side of building a healthy, growing, thriving culture. So to your point, when things are difficult, when deadlines are missed, when HR is struggling with staffing, how are you showing up? Mm. Who is showing up? Because I promise you in that moment, that wellness app isn't going to be the, the fix all for how, again, it may have supported some, some change, but you won't say, okay, everyone, let's go to the wellness app and we'll figure this out. Yeah. That's, not, that's not really how it's going to look. So 
What in your experience has been the essentials, the, the kind of foundational principles to support this embodied work? Like how do we go from this as a notion, an idea, a company statement into that embodied experience? There's a very simple way to understand this. Um, something that we can all relate to. It's like how a mother cares for her child. You know, th there is an embodied quality to that nurturing. It's not a mechanistic thing, you know? The child is crying, okay, give it food. The child is, you know, uh, needs a toy, okay, give it a nap. <laughs> the mothers don't work that way. It's like, you know, there's a genuine care there. It's, it's a felt experience. The child feels the care of the mother, you know? So that's what embodied care is like. We all know what that's like. And it's about bringing that kind of sincere care into an organization. And I like this word sincere because there's something wholehearted about it. Uh, as opposed to serious, which, uh, you know, when I use the word serious, it creates a contraction in my body, oh, serious, and my mind becomes tight. Mm -hmm. But when I'm sincere, it literally feels loving and expansive. You know, how can I sincerely create a culture of care in my organization? And then the little things will show up. So the baby doesn't have to scream and shout. There's a small little, and you can right away, there's such a deep connection with the, with the child. Uh, similarly, there can be such a deep interdependent connection with every every organism in that organization, every being in an organization. So before they even say it, you can feel intuitively, you know, uh, like a, I remember in my, in my company, when I was an engineer back in the day, I, I did something really simple. I was, uh, I was a design engineer designing circuits and uh, the vending machine was four floors down and it just had junk in it, you know, uh, soda pop and this kind of stuff. And so I, I decided to put a, a, a bowl of dried fruits next to the water cooler on my floor. So nuts and, you know, raisins and things like that. And uh, I, I grabbed a handful, got my glass of water and worked. And when the bowl got empty, by miracle, other people started to fill it up. <laughs> and then we had our office dried fruit bowl where it, with a tissue and a spoon beside it for us to take our, you know, our, our part. Something as simple as that, it, it's not a question of money or it's not even a question of time and resources. It's, there's, a, there's a wholeheartedness in this. And we, we belong to a fabric and our, our way of being expresses this interconnectedness, which is far beyond vocabulary because the converse is also true. I've gone into organizations where you can feel the camaraderie you can feel people feeling free to be themselves, expressing themselves enthusiastically, and they don't even have a mission statement. It's just who they are, right. you know? Right. So, so, so that is, uh, th there is a depth of sincerity with it. And I would say it's an inside job. So we cannot implement those principles if we don't embody it ourselves very intimately, very, very, you know, uh, very personally. So, if I don't really care deeply about this mind body system and how it operates in this organization, chances are very high, whatever I'll put out will not have that, those values. So, um, so it, it, the step one is in like the adage of the airplane, you got to put on your own oxygen mask first before you put on the other person's. So, uh, this, the self-care part is, is foundation mm -hmm. that where we're coming from is not coming from a place of tightness and serious and stress but coming from a place of a loving caring mother almost you know from that kind of a place yeah yeah i was thinking about that example of a company who like i don't know gives their their staff the calm app as a, as a gift for example mm. i think before you even give that app you you're invited to ask yourself the question how calm am i <laughs> like how yeah. 
you know, so to, to, to bring back, to reflect on the comment that you made, how are you holding space for yourself? Is there space in yourself? Because if your cup is overflowing, you're just going to spill out on everybody, right? And, and we, everyone yeah. knows that experience. And everyone's mm-hmm. had a, a boss, a manager, a supervisor who really cannot hold ground and is a projectile, you know, a scud mm-hmm. missile of constant flow of psychic content, emotional content, projection, all these, you know, very discomforting experiences where you can clearly feel that someone is just not holding ground. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree with you. The spaciousness that you nurture in your own self-care practices, your own self-awareness, um, tuning into your own emotional feeling, sensing vibration makes it so much easier to show up with open arms mm. because the alternative is that you're in a highly contracted state. Mm. In contraction, we are very small. So there's really nothing can be held there. You know, it's just like it's a very shallow well it's there's just no no lifeblood there Mm -hmm. um and people feel that that's the foundation of culture cult so if culture is a well how deep does your well run Mm -hmm. How, how much are you inviting people to lower the bucket to dip into that rich reservoir of energy kindness caring genuine concern we're in this together, this sense of interdependence. It is one collective well. And anything that pollutes it, in some way, pollutes everyone. You know, mm-hmm. We all know this. Like you watch, you can look at morale in a company like a domino effect. People think, oh, it's innocuous. I'll talk to someone about X, Y, and Z. And they become a spreader and they start tipping that domino effect and it starts to pervade the organization. I've seen this happen. Now, no one can ever really fully trace it. It's in a way it's kind of viral. Like it's hard to really see how it's moving, but it moves. And that's what it's like when the culture is, is polluted. And it would be like having a polluted well and saying, well, I'll toss in a rubber ducky. (laughs) And everyone everyone will think that's great. That's great. You know, here's, it's almost like a distraction. Um, (laughs) so if you think your wellness solutions, if you're looking at wellness solutions, like a rubber ducky, uh, think again, I I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two things are coming up. One is that intention really matters. Are you bringing in that calm app, uh, you know, that rubber ducky just to squeeze the employees a little bit more and not just get a little bit more out of them. Okay. You're stressed. Okay. Here's something that'll, that'll allow you to keep performing and, and, uh, and extend your, your life in this company a little bit more before you burn out. You know, I, I, although not vocalized in that way, I see a lot of companies bring in wellness program, not with the genuine intention of the wellness of the employees, but just to make them last a little bit longer, more like a, um, uh, the survival right. extension yes. program. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to, to just downplay that, but I've yeah. also seen the opposite. The, this notion of as is the head, so is the body, as is the head, so is the body, as is the head of an organization, which are the decision makers. So is the organization. So it is so important for those decision makers to, I would say person have personal mentors in terms of physical health, mental calmness, compassionate heart. Um, this interconnectedness we speak about, the ability to see the interdependence of every part and how every part is equally important in this intricate balance in an organization. That kind of a leader, when that kind of a leader, there's a company I'm working with right now, her name is Laura. She's that kind of a leader. She has very high integrity in her personal care. So when she says that there's a wellness program I'd like to offer to you, 
then the company goes, yeah, that makes sense coming from Laura. That's who she is. Right. But if Laura had no practice whatsoever, she's right. completely tied right. up in knots and she's yeah. offering a wellness program, it doesn't have the same gravitas, the same impact. I think that's so huge because like let's uh, what you just said I think is mo like monstrously huge. So let's establish the principles of that of that that scenario you just described. So Laura embodies this experience. Mm -hmm. That means when Laura shows up, her staff know that she's showing up authentically. Mm -hmm. Wellness is not a surrogate for authenticity. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's treated that way. Oh, if I'm talking about wellness, people will believe I'm trustworthy, worthy, uh, this is safe, I care. No, no. Wellness is not a surrogate for authenticity. Yeah, and you get worse, the cause and effect mixed up. Yeah, exactly. So the it's cause and effect is mixed up. <clears throat> exactly. And worse, when you show up with wellness as a surrogate for authenticity, what, what's the inverse effect? Everyone thinks you're inauthentic. <laughs> You know, like the trust actually erodes. It gets worse mm -hmm. because it's like I'm bleeding and you showed up with a like I, I, I've got a gaping wound and you showed up with a Band-Aid. How do you really mm -hmm. want me to feel about that? I'm probably going to look mm -hmm. at you and say what, what, what's probably happening is the recognition that we are not seeing the world the same way. Like mm -hmm. someone here is out of touch. Whether it's me or it's you, I don't know, but something is out of touch. And, and it just it actually provokes more imbalance. And I don't yeah. know if organizations understand this, this psychic effect of when you show up with a, despite better intention, but when you show up, when you create a culture that's, that lacks a certain level of authenticity and, and, and openness and psychological safety, and then you show up bearing gifts, wellness gifts that are supposed to be the <clears throat> band-aid to that you actually just open the wound further mm -hmm. i've experienced that too yeah i've in, in all my years uh sometimes people are so distracted so numbed um they don't even realize how dissonant they are in their workplace and when they actually do the wellness practice and have a deeper sensitivity to how their their values, their own personal mission, state, mission statements are actually not being embodied by the organization, they will leave the organization. This does happen. Actually, this happens a lot. So if an organization is bringing in a wellness program, it, it, they need to be really sure that their culture supports such an initiative because that initiative is an effect, not a cause. You know, <laughs> the cause is Laura. The effect is the wellness program, not the other way around. Yeah. I think that's that's so beautifully said. And that ordering matters. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about things that are obviously quite curvaceous, but there is there is let's call it a sequence. There's something mm -hmm. sequential, and I agree with you that the sequence is know thyself. Um, both in terms of what you're showing up with that is welcoming and warm and things that you might be showing up with that are shadowy and, you know, maybe need mm -hmm. your attention. Uh, that are discomforting to you because if they're discomforting to you, they're, they're discomforting to others. Um, and that's where the culture starts. Mm. And then of course, genuinely it's an extending that invitation to your teams as well. And to make that a hallmark of your creative open discovery process. Mm -hmm. Now this is just not that what I, the tier two of this is that this is not just a, a moral, um, undertaking quote unquote the right thing to do 
Mm. Um, it has resonant value within the organization in terms of performance productivity. What have you seen working with clients who start to inject this, let's call it authentic presence in the way they shape mm. culture? What do you notice that, that starts to evolve within those organizations? So this part about the moral imperative um, is an important part, but it's not the only part because that's more intellectual. Um, the the openness is a very very important part. I find that when when the uh, when the decision makers, let's call them leaders, are are open to genuine care in the organization, that's the most important part. The, the sincerity of the, of the leadership when they're on board. You can see the trickle-on effect happens seamlessly, but if they're doing it just academically, just as a, almost like an internal PR kind of a maneuver, the people feel that right away. As the saying goes, read the room, you know? Uh, <laughs> so the leader needs to be able to read the room and go, all right, you know, I found that that's almost like motherly care, saying, I, I know these times are tough. I know you're going through difficult things um, as I am, as, as am I. So here's something I feel will benefit you as it will benefit me. When it comes from that place um, of human connection, that's really authentic beyond job titles and labels, that I find has a very powerful effect. Um, so the initial harbinger is basically, you know, uh, we we need to look after each other a lot better so uh, we can be uh, more robust as an organization when we go through challenging uncertain times as many organizations are right now. It could be like super profitable and too much stress, or it could be like barely hanging on too much stress. But nevertheless, both the endpoints have a lot of stress, where many organizations are. So it's just coming from a place, hey, we need to do a better job of looking after our community so that we can get through these times and also thrive and be resilient for the long term. When it comes from that place, um, and there's a lot of business sense in it. It's not a question of parking the business brain at all. Um, but I often say when I, when I go into an organization, um, my, I don't make a business pitch. You know? I don't say this is going to increase your ROI. It's, 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 not, it's not my place to say that. Um, that's not my specialty. What I will say is that, you know, when we do this kind of practice, the people here will be healthier, will be more peaceful, and will be happier. That's just the effect of the practice. And uh, there are so many other factors at play here that I cannot control. So many other dynamics that could, you know, lead to the success or the failure of the company. But the reality is you spend most of your waking hours with these people. So why don't you just spend them hanging out with healthy, happy, you know, peaceful people? And chances are these people will most likely be more creative and more productive. Yeah. That, that's a byproduct. You know, uh, the, 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 that's the effect. The cause is a genuine care that we're in this together. Yeah. And, and you thriving makes me thrive and me thriving makes you thrive. That kind of a mindset and heart set is, the, is to me the recipe for success. And this is what I'll add to that is from a tactical perspective, even though I'd say this is an, let's call it an unintended outcome, but an outcome is the, the nurturing of creativity. So remember that creativity is not just an intellectual exercise. So when creativity is an intellectual exercise, you are always bound by what you know. Mm-hmm. which which makes creativity difficult because creativity by definition is a journey in some way, at least in some measure, whether it's one degree or 360 degrees, a, uh, an exploration of the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. What's the precursor to creativity in that sense? Well, an open state of being, a welcoming mm-hmm. 
a suspending of one's own belief, one's own bias, one's own judgment to welcome what is possible. That only happens in an, in an open disposition. And an open disposition comes through being in tune with your own sense of being in the world. Um, different from the chatter in your mind that's um, playing out old scenarios and relying very strongly on memory and, and things that are, you, you've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. um, so the sum effect of nurturing a culture of being with each other, which mm -hmm. then cascades into an openness with each other, which then overflows into a kind of creative energy, a safe, creative, vibrant energy that not only will permeate your company and permeate your people, but will invite people to want more of that. They will actually start to look forward to an environment that says, mm -hmm. welcome. Mm -hmm. You are welcome here. All of you is welcome here. That's why we love going home. That's why mm -hmm. most people can't wait to go home after work because for them, work, yeah, work mm -hmm. becomes a contraction and then that mm -hmm. they come home and the, the first thing that it says on the, on the mat is welcome. Here's the, uh, the irony of all of this because genuine creativity and productivity feels good. Yeah. It feels good to go to bed after a hard day's work, seeing you've done something amazing and you've had those creative insights. So, so what the company looks for is actually what every every part of the company, every being in the company is also looking for, because it feels really good to be in that collaborative, co-creative state, and something magnificent arises from that. From a yogic perspective, there are actually two words that point to these mind states. One's called the buddhi, other one's called the chitta, or we can see it as the thinking mind and the working mind. So the thinking mind, like you described, is really based on memory and past experiences. So it's just a version of copy and paste of old experiences. There's nothing really original there. It's not, it's not inspired in that sense. It's just copy paste iterations. Genuine inspiration comes from this other state, the chitta or the working mind. So the thinking mind requires the playing fields of past, future, craving, aversion to exist, you know, uh, like a past, present memory or future unpleasant, that's future unpleasant would be, would be fear, uh, past unpleasant would be something like frustration or, uh, or, or, or resentment or something. When you're in that field, that's when the thinking mind is functioning. But when we are in that state of what in the practice is called right awareness, this totally aligned what's happening right now at the level of experience, at a state called equanimity, where the mind is not disturbed by craving and aversion, it's just a balanced equanimous mind, from that state, you can see it like a center of a wheel, you've tuned into the working mind. And that's the place where genuine creativity hangs out. That's where you get the eureka moments, the, the, the authentic ahas, you know, the equals MC squared stuff. Uh, something that never existed before suddenly just comes up to the mind's eye. And you almost feel sheepish to possess it because it was kind of like almost gifted to you. Um, and we can all access this state of chitta. It's just, a, it's just a practice of hanging out in that middle of the wheel, of developing a right awareness and equanimity to access this genuine creativity. And creativity is really the fundamental export of most companies. If you really nail it down, what you're exporting is creativity. And that's your secret sauce. So there are ways to cultivate states where that is actually can be nurtured, not just from an individual, but as a collective, like arising from the collective. That's amazing stuff for an organization if they just uh, give it some value and attention.